Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 165 of The Cool Room. We're going to be sitting down today with Simon from Ocean Reach, learning all about his brewing story and tasting some of the fantastic Ocean Reach beers. Just before we get underway with that, just a couple of little notes. A big thank you to everyone who's moved over to the new subscription process. Uh, Fantastic to have uh, everyone supporting the podcast and being a part of that. It means that we can have on awesome breweries, not just like Ocean Reach, but obviously Ocean Reach, but also excited to say that our next brewery that we're going to be having on is Dissolver, all the way from North Carolina. And their beer can art looks amazing. I'm sure what's inside the cans is going to be equally amazing. So make sure you get around that. Go check out our Shopify store and grab those beers so that you can either join us live in Zoom, as many people have done this Sunday afternoon, or that you can listen to the podcast with the right beers in your hand. Today, we're going to be tasting officially three great Ocean Reach beers. We're going to be having the Cosmo Seawater Kolsch, the Dreamy Days Hazy Pale, and finishing off with one that I've been hanging out for ever since it landed in my fridge. I've been very diligent and not drunk my version of it yet. The Cosmic Dip IPA. We'll get to all of those in a minute. But first of all, and most importantly, welcome, Simon. Great to have you on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, really looking forward to tasting these beers and really looking forward to hearing the story of the uh, of the brewery. Perhaps just to get us underway, can you give both Victorian listeners, but all of our listeners all around the world as well, a bit of a picture of whereabouts the brewery is located and what it would feel like if we were walking through the front doors today? Um, so, yeah, we're based on Phillip Island, which is uh, southeast of Melbourne uh, in the Gippsland region. And it was actually the Bass region, but everyone calls it Gippsland for some reason. Um, but yeah, so we, we've got two little locations here. Uh, we've got the factory where I'm in right now, which is our manufacturing uh, side of things. But then we've got a little tap house where it all started on the main strip of Thompson Avenue. Um, not a huge strip uh, by any means, but it, it's uh, where we all started. We started there with a really small 300 litre system out of the back of a 90 square, shop, uh, square metre shop. Um, which was bloody tough. And then we decided that we had to get out of there and, and uh, give ourselves some space. And now we're in a factory. But um, yeah, is that, what else do you, need, you want to know? Yeah, that- no, that's a good, gives a bit of feel. So, and Phillip Island, just I guess for people who are outside of Australia, is a popular little tourist spot outside of Melbourne, isn't it? Lots of, lots of penguins. Yeah, so I've been coming here since I was 10, um, surfing every other weekend with the old man. And um, it was always just a quiet surf place and yeah, the penguins, busloads of people coming out and look at the penguins. And uh, I guess yeah, we decided that, you know, there's more to Phillip Island than penguins. There's also <laughs> as well. Um, so yeah, we brought beer to Phillip Island and we're pretty proud of that. Um, but yeah, it's a big surfing culture down here and just, it goes from 7,000 people to a hundred and something thousand in Christmas from all the holiday, you know, people coming down on holiday. So. Um, and that's not even counting the penguins. Okay, no. That's going to be my last penguin reference, I swear. Just to, you know, there'll be all of these poor, confused people in Norway and Egypt right now trying to understand why it is that we're on a beer podcast and talking about penguins. It's funny, we always said that we were never going to put penguins on a can because we didn't, we thought it'd be so corny. And then we did it with the seawater culture. But no, we did it with a Hellas, Hellas Lager. Oh, yeah. So, 
Did you uh, did you get much of a thing? You've raised the penguins now. Um, yeah. Did you get much of a did, you, did people identify with it or not at all? No, nah, not really. No, nah, oh, I don't know. It was a penguin with like cool sunglasses on, so I don't know if anyone really got it. But um, yeah, anyway, that was it's yeah, it's like a Phillip Island to me is the place I've been coming since I was a boy, you know. Um, and it was a really good place to raise kids and stuff. So yeah, moved here in 2017, I think it was 2016. Yeah, when we started the brewery. So. And it's fair to say that there's a real culture now, isn't there, of, of tourist towns and, and country regional areas getting their own breweries. Probably 20 years ago, there wouldn't have been, you know, virtually one you could have found, whereas now they're, they're popping up all over the place and are an integral sort of part of what yeah. people expect when they go out to, to kind a place. Of, like kind of like why we chose the location too. Obviously, I've got a bit of history from coming here as a kid, but um, wife and I, you know, we'd always go travelling throughout the, you know, New South Wales or in Tasmania or whatever, and just you find these little breweries around, and then we decided that we want to do it for ourselves. So that's why we ended up coming back down here. Really keen to sort of learn more about your story as we go along today, but I've done the traditional thing, which is open my can of the Kolsch 15 minutes or so before the show starts, and I'm, I'm already well into it. So we better get on to, to chatting about the Kolsch, sure. you know, before I've finished it off. Can you give us just a bit of a, a couple of tasting notes on what we should be experiencing with this one? And obviously really keen to sort of talk about the, the seawater nature of it, but let's talk sort of Kolsch in general first. Um, yep, just one second, actually. Uh, here we go. Uh, I just made Are you sure going to cheat and get your notes up? That's it. Yeah, better. well, I, I think we did something like uh, 30 new releases last year. So um, it's, it gets a little bit overwhelming, remember every single one. But uh, the reason why we actually brewed the Kolsch was uh, we had some yeast uh, from Lullamond um, gifted to us. And we thought, oh, cool, we'll give it a, give it a crack. We use the Colin, Colin yeast, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was just sitting in the core room. I thought, well, you know, let's, let's make a Kolsch um as simple as that there's nothing crazy around it but we really wanted to do something a bit odd and something different and we've for a few times we've you know grabbed some seawater from the local beach here and uh thrown in a couple of different beers um we just thought that you know uh, Kolsch would really use that little nice like salty finish I think it would really kind of um spring up that mineral kind of vibe a little bit uh so what I'd be expecting is you know the proper characteristics from the yeast those esters you'd get from Colm uh, from that yeast um, fermented slightly warmer than a than a, than a lager, um, and yeah, that that we didn't really go crazy with hops. I think we just went like a real basic kind of um, like SARS or something along those lines. Just a nice noble hop. Didn't really want to accentuate hops in this at all. Uh, we we're hoping the mineral level is going to be a little higher, but when you're grabbing uh, 20, 20 liter buckets from the ocean, it's really difficult to know what you're putting in. Yeah, I was, uh, that was going to ask exactly that kind of question. Like, is it something you sort of you've used a few times now? Do you do you know what to expect, or is it always just a little bit random? I wish the formula was like basic. Like, oh, I'll work for this beer. That mount's going to be good for this beer. Um, what would I? Re- well, we did it in a, um, a seawater gozer, um, which obviously has a lot of salt in it anyway. And that one actually really was like, well, that's pretty pretty salty. We did the exact same amount for the Colch, but the yeast and the way it reacted, it didn't really kind of punch through with nearly as much as I thought it would. Um, so, you know, but that's that's craft brewing, isn't it? You know, you just give it, give it a go. And not not everything's going to be a scientific method, I think. <laughs> um, There's definitely the- that sort of warmth, that mouth warmth that comes from the from the seawater there, though, particularly sort of later on in the in the flavours that we get out. As, yeah, as it's definitely at the back end of the palate, you find there's that little bit of mineral finish. It's a little bit unusual to, a, I guess, a standard colch. 
I've, uh, I've got to say that I've been drinking my fair share of seawater this week, going down to the beach pretty much every day. So um, it's, uh, it's 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 a familiar taste to me right now, <laughs> and it's uh, nice to have it without well, getting the sand in in the bum at the same time. I don't know if anyone's actually looked at the label and kind of put two and two together. There, we we're a bit of a Seinfeld um, fans, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, Cosmo Kramer came up oh. with came up with the um the you know the coming from the beach. And having the colognes are like you've just come back from the beach. I uh, had I had not put two and two together. Yeah, so we thought, cool, like we want to make a beer that tastes like you've just come from the beach. Um, I thought you were going to say a beer that tasted like Cosmo Kramer, but that's no. a... Yeah, so yeah, we actually had a bit of fun and um, doing a little PR around it. You know, we are rubbing the cans under our arms like it was deodorant. But um, yeah, so that was, that was really actually the concept. You know, cologne is where Colch is from and... Um, yeah, we just saw it. Yeah, why not? We like to have a bit of fun with what we're doing. Uh, absolutely. That's one of the things that I think makes craft beer so great is that, you know, the, the more you look into things, the more little jokes and uh, the personalities of the brewers come through. That's what but, you know, we really like. Um, we've had a few cultures on the show in the last few months, I guess. They've, they've always been there and thereabouts, but. Is it a style that you think people are becoming more accepting of in Australia? I guess even more to the point, is it a is it a name that you can get away with putting on a can now and people know what it is a bit more than perhaps initially? I don't know. Like, uh, it's definitely, I, like, our, our, our batch runs only 1,500 litres. So, you know, we're, and we're across two states. So one batch, you know, it's probably a safe bet that it's going to move, you know. Like, I'm not doing thousands and thousands and thousands of cans for it. So it's hard to really judge it based on that um like it's not a style that i actually gravitate towards either like when i'm in the shop and i see one i'm probably going to grab an ipa to be to be honest with you um but uh yeah i don't know sure why not yeah i guess it's accepting um but i I don't know we haven't had a heap of feedback on that beer actually to be honest Um, well people people in the zoom room with us right now can type their feedback that's always always a dangerous thing to invite people to do but i'm getting thumbs up from people in the room so that's a that's a real positive (laughs) uh technical difficulties no that's that's no that's uh, just dave croft having technical difficulties logging in so he's, that's uh, the, un, unrelated to your beer i want to make oh, we have them all the time in the brewery it's really really <laughs> frustrating this canning line behind me is my nemesis oh uh, well we'll get we'll get to that because we really do love a, we're called the cool room because it's, we're all about machinery that breaks down not because we're cool so we're very um we're very ready for that bit of the conversation um really sort of keen um to hear a bit more about what you were saying there you do 30 limited releases a year um that wasn't on purpose it just so we just looked back and uh, we went oh holy shit we can't do that again like that was really stressful <laughs> we need to sell more of our core range um so uh, well, that was, that's that's exactly the question that i've got written down here is how do you find that that balance we know you know that it's important to have a yeah. real core spine to the business but then so many people just buy one can of everything and and even if they love it they don't buy a second one now that we're getting to like a bit of size um you know i think we can probably squeeze about two hundred and fifty thousand liters now a year um that's when the, the conversation starts to shift a little bit about you know where that volume come from and i think um that volume has to start coming from our core range um but at the start when we'll you know really getting out there to get a to I guess to be noticed across all those different breweries in Australia, we had, we had to do a lot of new uh, one-off releases. Um, 
and that's that's pretty much what's got kind of got us on I would say on, on the map I guess but yeah you know getting recognized across the scene and and then the core range started to, to follow so um so yeah. what bees have you got in the core range at the moment um we've got IPA pale porter and pilsner yeah I'm not looking to expand that at all um the porter is probably a, a still a touch seasonal like you know I mean we probably won't have it rolling over as frequent um just because it dies off in summer but we've always got it on hand if you know what I mean uh yeah the uh we, we know that these products move because we've been trying to get you onto the show for well probably over a year now maybe even two years I lose track during COVID but actually getting a range of beers from you was really hard because you know you seem to be constantly selling out of one and moving on to the other it's rare to get more than a couple of beers from yours at, at the same time yeah so we we've behind me we've got um three 30 heck fermenters and uh four 15 so a lot of the 15 heck fermenters will be the one-off releases and that would only really split up to be 125 cartons and and five kegs or something so you know very quickly it's just it disappears like i don't even have any colch to, to drink with you right now it's gone um yeah, so you've I'm, got the pale ale there have you got the uh have you got the other ones that we're tasting i don't, have, I don't, have, I don't have dreamy days that went super quick as well which is annoying because i like that beer <laughs> uh, but then cosmic dip i do have but i've got to drive home so got to be a little <laughs> more sensible <laughs> Very good. Well, that sort of seems like a reasonable time for us to start to transition to the dreamy days and and start to see how people are going. Look, everyone's being very diligent there in the Zoom room and making sure that they're finishing off their uh, the Kolsch, which is good. But um, let's start to talk about the dreamy days as they get their glasses ready and start to pour them out. Again, can you take us a little tour of the beer? What should it be looking like when it's poured into the glass? What should we be smelling on the nose? And then what are we getting in the flavours? All right, I'll tell you as well, but just like why we made the beer in the first place as well. Um, I started getting at the tap room, a lot of people complaining that all my all my beers are like 6% plus, you know. So I was like, oh. We'll yeah, not like the kind of thing you can have and drive home, I'm told. Nah, that's right. I don't know. Get, get a designated drive. Um, but no, so we had to get something else that people could have like a bot of and still go home or whatnot. So we decided that we'll throw in Dreamy Days, a nice hazy pail. Um, when you crack it open, you should, we, we've got a lot of Eclipse in there, um, which is a hop product, Australia, HPA, um, hop. Um, uh, so you get a, lot, a bit of mandarin, a bit of citrus and stuff on the nose. Uh, that's all cold side. So we do all that in the fermentation side of things. We don't do anything in the boil. Um, in the boil, you do have Idaho seven, um, from Yakima chief, um, which I can, this is a really nice combination of hops. They really sing lovely together uh so when you crack that open you'd get a lot of that citrus hit um mainly from the uh the eclipse because that's all the dry hop in there and the eclipse uh, is a relatively new hop am i right in saying that's one yeah that's yeah, one. yeah it's so it's a new branded hop i'd say it's probably over 12 months old now though um probably had a different name there for a while as well uh but yeah we've just started dabbling a little bit more with hops product australia <laughs> i made a small error and signed up to a three-year contract with Yakima Chief, and I had like three and a half tons worth of hops that I had to get through. So I haven't been able to explore other brands. Um, so now we're finally able to do that. You know, right? 
Was, was that literally just a didn't read the fine print kind of thing or just uh, no i knew what i was signing up for we just wanted to be able to make sure that i could get access to hops because there's a lot of times that i was calling up and uh yeah they were saying no nah, they're on contract or there's none available or whatnot yep um so we decided we went down that route um you know we came from a very small brewery 300 liters at a time only two fermenters and then i moved into yeah into this and i was like and I, everyone was, uh, every time I called up, it was like, oh, you need to get a contract. You need to get a contract. It's like, all right. I'm just, I'm learning all this stuff as I go. Um, but anyway, yeah, so the beer, you crack that open. It should be a nice, like, straw kind of color. It shouldn't be super, super dark. We don't use, a lot of my hazies, I really don't put any crystal malts in there at all. So we really just do a simple base. And with this one, it'd be just Pilsner malt, uh, malted oats, flaked wheat, and wheat malt, and that's it. Um, you try to mash as high as we can, uh, around 69 degrees to really get that, um, that body because we use Vedant in this beer, in this, this, uh, Verdant or Verdant IPA yeast from Lalamond. Um, and it's an aggressive yeast. So if you don't really push the, uh, the mash temperatures, especially in our brew house, which is only a single infusion setup. Mm-hmm. So we have, no, we have no heat, we have no way to control it. Um, so yeah, we really just aim for a really high mash to get that residual sweetness yeah, still in the beer. So hopefully when you're drinking it, it's refreshing. It is a pale ale, so it's going to be a little drier than, say, those bigger um, hazies. Uh, but, yeah, it's definitely a soft mouthfeel. So I, I really dig it. I reckon it's really nice. Is the, is the hazy a style that you've always particularly enjoyed or are you one of those people that sort of has been brought onto the hazy train, you know, as, as it's developed? I was definitely one of those guys who thought it was going to be a fad. And then, uh, you know what I mean? It's like, where are my IBUs? God damn it. Um, give me some bitterness. Anyway, then then I started making them and I just fell in love with them. So now I just can't stop drinking them. Uh, but I always go back to the standard West Coast IPA. I just think there's something about that. And as you say, this isn't like a, a big sort of fruity, you know, over-the-top you know, Nipah style hazy, is it? It's uh, a ah, so it's it's it, think pale ale strength five percent. You know, it's meant to be sessionable, um, but it's still got those characteristics of a juicy IPA of some sort. Uh, we we didn't go crazy with the host because we've got to make it affordable. You know, like you don't want to charge five percent beer for one hundred and fifty bucks a carton or something like that. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we, we're a little bit more reserved than some other breweries in that sense. Um, but we try to just adopt different techniques and, you know, use our hop selection uh, wisely so we're not throwing hops away by putting them in the boil when they don't carry through all the way down the fermentation. So um, making those small changes in our, in our brewing process actually gives us better yield out of our products. So, uh, yeah, that's what we think. Anyway. We're, we're working on it. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Uh, I've got a question from James in the call room as well, which I should get to while it's on my mind, which is about uh, about when you were talking there about hops and getting that sort of greater variety in now. Uh, any appetite for using some of those experimental New Zealand hops and I guess just experimental well, hops we generally? we actually did. This, with Dreamy Days, that's the second iteration that you guys would be have. The very first time we did it, we used um, a hop called NZH107. And yeah, that was awesome, but it was just like really expensive per kilo. So I had to make some adjustments um, uh, just to make that beer, you know, targeted at the right audience, you know? So we, yeah, but bloody oaf, I love New Zealand hops. Um, 
I've actually used some more of that NZH107 in a beer I've got at the moment. We've got a big oat cream IPA in the tank at the moment, um, which I think is going to be a banger. And uh, how long are you having that one tucked away for? When are we going to see that one out on the on the shelves? I think that one's actually going, majority of it's going to all the vintage sellers in Victoria. Um, so there's going to be probably a small, like a handful that you can probably order direct from us. Um, and that would be one one for us to keep our eyes out for. End of, end of the month, yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, I would. It's called um, Dream Lover. So you're getting a bit of an inside goss here. It's not released Excellent. yet. Excellent. That's our yeah. 227 scoop, PM scoop. Yeah, it, you heard it here first. Um, but yeah, so that's that's coming out at the end of the month. Really excited about that one. That sounds like a really good fun. We'll definitely keep our eyes open uh, for that one. Can we talk a little bit about your sort of personal brewing history? Often we like to, we ask people, you know, do you remember what your first craft beer you ever had was? Where were you and what was it? Probably Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, to be honest. Um, I jumped on that bandwagon and never looked back. But, you know, I used to be a big uh, Bex. Given, given I'm ripping the Sierra Nevada T-shirt today, nice. uh, just, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I used to drink a lot of Bex and Peroni when I was younger. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's a classy beer. And then... Yeah, then I got introduced um, Sierra Nevada when I went to America and I was really young, early 20s. I think I went, Ugh, what's that? You know, threw it away. I feel so stupid now that I did that. But uh, it was, uh, yeah, so that's, that was probably the first first time I really started getting hooked. And then it was, you know, every I was looking at bars that had different taps, you know. Uh, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't go out, let's go out here. I'm like, oh, no, they got shit beer, let's go over here. And started to go into that obsession of uh, craft beer and then, then I started doing home brewing actually w- when I got back from London this is how it all started if you really want to know so when yeah, I got absolutely, please. I, um, I got back from London I met my my now wife uh, in there and we we came back and uh, I had no money like I was so broke so we uh, m- my mate was doing a bit of home brew so it was just a really honestly a cheap way to get pissed i guess and then we uh that's right i, I went into homebrew with the first time i ever got a mortgage it was pretty much the same day my dad did it when i was a kid you know, i remember he was you know he had the bathtub and sanitizer and all this kind of jazz and um so then we we started doing it together because i moved back with my parents um, when i got back from england and then yeah we started homebrew and just doing kits and all that kind of stuff and then i moved to bendigo and uh it was a little homebrew crew there um that got me into all grain and partial mashes and stuff. And I was doing it on the stovetop. And then I, then I got, you know, it was a really cheap way to make beer. Then it became an expensive way to make cheap beer because I kept buying all the bloody equipment. And then, uh, yeah. So then I just had my own little like two vessel system. And so I'm just a full on homebrew. I've got absolutely zero um, professional experience. I've never worked in a brewery in my life until I, until I started it. That's pretty amazing. Was it a one of those sort of things where you you had an amb, a real ambition to end up where you are now, or is it one of those things that just sort of unfolded over time? We always thought about it when I was, you know, we always thought about. It. We never had the cash though, so we were like, you know, we always thought about it. And then um, we moved to Melbourne from Bendigo, and uh, I was working in um, Cremorne, you know, to project managing, uh, you know, digital agency doing websites and stuff. Completely boring. And, um, well, for me anyway, um, it was definitely not really ticking all the boxes personally. 
Um, and you, you're yeah. telling us you've gone from IT in a loose interpretation to uh, craft brewing. You must, you yeah, know. well, I've actually got a construction background in project management, but I've uh, got a crook back now, so I went, I went behind a desk instead. Um, that was actually worse at the back, to be fair. And then uh, now, now I'm back on the tools, uh, but brewing. But yeah, so that's that's my background. I'm just project management, really. Nothing, nothing to do with brewing at all. And um, have any of the recipes from those home brewing days survived? Are there things? Um, the porter is still the exact same recipe that I brewed out of a little grandfather back in the day, twenty liters system, um, and that's won like multiple gold medals at the Avers. So. Um, I was pretty stoked with that. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, hang on to things like that. Was there a sort of a, the transitions as you went along? You know, was it, was it part of that process where you sort of knew the styles that you wanted to go with? Or are you one of those brewers that likes the opportunity to play in a whole lot of different sort of fields? That's sort of the impression that I get from even just the lineup we've got from you and our pack this time. Uh-huh. I've got a lot more experimental as I've got more confident in brewing. But when I first started, um, I was actually looking at the history of how these styles started and just wanted to really kind of understand, uh, like the porter, for example. Like I had a really good book that just, you know, where it came from, why it is called porter, all that kind of stuff. So at the start, I was actually really just trying to be, make just make good beer. That's it. That's all I was going to make good beer. Didn't want to be crazy. Didn't want to have all these different lactose and fruits and all that kind of jazz in there. I just wanted to be, um, so that was the kind of brew I was. Now I'm a lot, a lot more kind of, I don't know, free flowing with the way things are going, you know? So if there's fruit available, I'm like, oh, we use that. Yeah. I'll chuck that in a beer, you know, stuff like that. So it's a little bit different now, but um, yeah. So I don't know what kind of lineup have I got here yeah, again, the cosmic dip. Dream oh, up. we've got, we've got the Pilsner. We've got, uh, you know, there's a, there's a really sort of broad range of things, including the, the porter and so forth. And um, a couple of the hazies, the, the double dry hopped Witch Doctor 2, um, oh, yeah. IPAs and pales. So, you know, a fairly broad reach and a, and a quick look at your website sort of reveals the full scope of things as well. Yeah, so I guess we've kind of really gone into that hazy IPA landscape. You know, we they're fun to make. Um you really get a good expression of the hops. You know, you really kind of play around with flavours. You know, there's only so many versions of a Pilsner you can make that, you know, how different are they? You know, so um, I really like to explore the ingredients that I'm kind of dealing with. I actually want to get more into, like, understanding the agriculture and, like, how, how the hops are actually getting made and stuff. So I'm going to do a, a tour at HPA this year. Um just because I'm interested, no other reason. Um, yeah, anyway, that's that. Yeah, fascinating stuff. We have so many home brewers who who listen to the show. Are there one or two bits of advice you'd give? He said as he ran over his dog with his chair. Uh, are there any bits of advice that you'd give to people, um, you know, who are out there home brewing? A couple of sort of things that, you know, are guaranteed winners if they if they or things that they should concentrate on if they if they yeah well I think I, uh, the big change for me when I was home brewing was um, understanding that you need to filter your water. I know it sounds straightforward, but you really got to strip out that chlorine. Um, if you start finding that your beers are always tasting the same because chlorine's in every single one of them, um, and that really stuffs things up. So I know it sounds basic, but sometimes the most simplest things can make such a big change. 
Um, getting your water tested as well, like it doesn't cost much, a couple of hundred bucks, get it done, understand your water profile, and then really adapting your own recipes to the water that you've got. Um, the water down here on Phillip Island isn't, it's, 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 it's a nice soft pro- profile, but we have a really high chloride level. So that's why we produce a lot of hazies because the water's set up for it. Uh, so we counteract it with a lot of sulfate, uh, but that's really hard when we want to make a really classic, you know, Pilsner because um, they don't have any chloride in their water there pretty much. So, but in Melbourne, you got low chloride levels. So it can be done there. You can really build it up from a small base, but I've stopped giving a shit about the water that, you know, like reverse osmosis and stripping it back and trying to build a profile that they had in, you know, Burton-on-Trent or wherever it is, because, you know, they didn't give a shit when they were making beer back in the day. So, <laughs> look, I'm just going to start using the water that we've got and this is it. But I don't think if I put a cow's pilsner on the can, it won't sell very well. So I'll just call it Czech Pilsner instead. I- I, th- I think Pilsen is the way to go for those sort of things, absolutely. And do you get many home brewers who come down to the brewery or come down to the bar, especially, and sort of want to talk yeah. and get advice in that regard? I did back in the day, like, because when we were brewing out of the shop, um, you know, I'd brew all day, open up the shop and serve beers all throughout the evening. And, you know, we were trying to do everything ourselves because, I don't know, the money was tight or whatever. Um, yeah, quite a lot. But these days I don't work in the bar, you know, um, I'm full-time in the brewery now managing this place and we've got staff there. You don't put on a false nose or anything and just sort of hide in the corner and just listen in to what people are saying about the beers? Nah, no, I've stopped caring about what people think. (laughs) (laughs) I was so addicted to just checking out Untapped all the time when I first opened and it was almost uh, soul-crushing. So I've realised that, you know, you can't please everyone, but, you know, stay in my own lane and keep trying to make a good product. Uh, for people who haven't listened to our previous episode, 164, with uh, Maz from Hawkers, uh, feel free to go and give that a listen and you'll learn more about how brewers feel about Untapped. And, um, you know, I, I, I won't give any more clues to that one than that, but go back and I've check I've deleted it off my phone. I don't even look at it. They keep reaching out to me and asking, you know, to pay for subscription because for marketing purposes, but just ignore it. I just don't want to support it at all. Um, yeah, but yeah, so I'm guessing that's a similar kind of thing in the previous episode maybe <laughs> yeah and Maz doesn't mince his words so I think it's fair to say so go, go back and check that check that out so the so we've, we've got you there you're, you're doing the little home brewing you've moved into into the brewery and you've started on those small systems was the emphasis always to try and grow the brewery side of things or was it just as much sort of the hospo initially? How does it sort of... When we, when we first came down here, we are like, we'll get a nice little tap house. We'll just have it at the bar. It'll be a lot of fun. And then the first thing everyone kept asking for was package beer. I'm like, well, I'm not allowed to package here because I had a different license at the time and there's no way you could fit a canning line in there anyway. Um, so it was just kind of like we kind of just went with the demand that was there. It was clear we could not make enough beer. You know, it was just, we kept running out. I started buying beer in to, you know, service the amount of taps I had at the bar, um, which is a good problem to have, as everyone kept telling me. Um, but, it, yeah, running out of beer is also, like, quite annoying. Um, it's that goes to that category of it's a good problem to have, but it's still a problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And it's not like I can just go and open up another manufacturing brewery down the road, you know, with all my piles of money um so (laughs) i had to i had to figure that out 
but yeah, that's that's the main reason we did. You know, 18 months in, we went, you know what, this is working. We've got a product here. Do we want to make the next leap and just try and do this at a, at a different level? So we've just kind of grow, followed the growth curve. We've never really, we haven't done it. No really advertising. We've never done anything like that. We've just kind of gone with the flow. Um, and we've just ended up where we are. So now, though, we're at a size now. I'm like, well, right, shit, we've, got a, we've actually got a bit of a business here. We better start managing it properly. <laughs> and um, I, was, I don't want to keep going back to it, but when we're out with Maz the other night, you know, he was sitting down and for the first time in years actually figuring out how much it cost him to make some of the beers that he was making. Like it just sort of hadn't been a something he'd sat down and thought about for a while, particularly when it came to barrel aging and things like that. Is there a touch of that with you as well? That sort of You've got to keep resetting yourself like and just reminding yourself to double check those numbers because um, you're getting price increases all the time. Um, but it's just so hard to pass that on to the consumer. It's just because everyone has an expectation of what they want to spend on, on alcohol. So uh, absolutely, we definitely go through that all the time. Shit, we better sit down and actually work out the numbers. Are we making any money? I don't know. Yeah, no, no, I understand. Time, but it's it's a bit that, particularly when you're sort of working on the tools as well, to actually just find that time to to set aside and do that yeah, bit properly. That's a good. That's a good thing. Yeah, like I'm, I'm my business partner is my dad, so um, he Wayne he he does a, a lot of the background stuff, a lot of operations. He's got a you know background in insurance, uh, managing big companies and that. But uh, he realised how much that did not matter because running a small business is completely different. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's doing a lot of that stuff. So we, we, it's not just me in here on the tools, running everything. We do have a really cool little team in here. So, and my wife works in here. She does all the marketing. She deals with all the like all the designs and and all that kind of all that kind of stuff. And that that step of getting the production brewery and so forth was was that a scary sort of moment, or was it just filled with excitement? You were. Oh, yeah, it's always a bit scary, you know. It's yeah, hundred percent like. Little things, um, you know, we didn't have enough money to do the floor properly. So I've spent the last three years with a squeegee in my hand, basically making sure all the water goes down the right the right way. And um, so, like, it was daunting in the fact that you just didn't know how you, you know, are we setting it up properly? Like, are we putting the tanks in the right spot? All that kind of stuff really is stressful at the times. So, you know, you got a container here, rock up, you got to figure out how you're going to get it out there, out of the container and stand these tanks up and you're dealing with all this money. And, you, yeah, bloody oath, it was scary as but also the excitement took over like i get way i love new toys and shiny things so, <laughs> um so yeah no i was definitely excited like i still love it i still love getting new new gadgets and stuff is there a particular toy that's a favorite oh, we should actually have that as one of our standing questions because so often <laughs> the brewer we sort of get into these little bits but is there is there one toy in particular that you like hmm Probably, I'm trying to which one doesn't broke down. <laughs> um, actually, my, my favourite is the most simple, and it'd be my Anton Parr density meter. That's probably it. No more hydrometers for me. So, now, Explain to, to those of us, let's just pretend that I don't know what one of those is. I, I, it's right here if you want me to go just grab it. Yeah, so, absolutely. We'd absolutely go and get it because, I, you know, We'll all be fascinated to learn about those sorts of things. And I'm also going to ask in a minute about the canning line as well. I'll say that while Simon's away. Oh, he's back. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually sitting at the desk where it's in. So, um, yeah, this is an Anton Parr density meter. So, basically, it just gives an SG readout. So, you just plunge it up. Only needs a couple of mil. Um, but you get instant readings straight away. Um, and it's accurate to, like, three decimal points. So, it's very, very accurate. Um 
game changer because I'm not, you know, trying to filter a sample, get it down a temperature, chuck the hydrometer in, you know, like I was getting, I, I felt, keep this between us. Oh, I can't, it's recorded, but I think I'm pretty sure. Like, <laughs> I can edit all of this out, don't worry. No, when we when we went from that, I realised that my beer well, might have been a little bit stronger than I was meant to be. So, uh, all right. Yeah, yeah. So hydrometers aren't, you know, super reliable um, just because it's, they're only calibrated at 15 degrees or something. I don't know. Anyway, this has got, this is awesome. This is my favourite toy, 100%. And um, it's... Doesn't uh, break either. It, it's James, one of the people in our, the courtroom here who I take all of my scientific advice from, or one of the people in this room I take all my scientific advice on, uh, assures me that Anton Parr make the best light scattering instruments he's put in the chat. It's good to have that kind of uh, that kind of knowledge here in the room. No, they got they do they, like this is probably the only Anton Parr thing I've got for a reason because it's not cheap. But um, a lot of the DO meters and alkalizers and uh, but it, then yeah, they're all Anton Parr, and that's the industry standard. But um, yeah, this is the only one I've got. I do have a DO meter. It's um, it's not yeah, it's not really good for really low DO. I don't know if you guys know much about dissolved oxygen and stuff, but um, well, I'm happy. I'm happy to admit that I don't. Others in the room might be far more educated. But explain to us what what that's all about. Oh well, you guys know that oxidization is bad. Um, your beers oxidize; they taste like shit. So. Um, yeah, so basically a DO meter just measures the level of dissolved oxygen in the solution. So we use that pre-fermentation to make sure we got enough oxygen for our yeast health and yeast growth when we pitch the yeast. And then we also use it to measure DO levels, either if you're transferring to a bright tank, making sure there's no oxygen in there when you transfer it across, um, and also the final product. So, you know, you, you can actually get a can and you pierce it and you actually pull a sample out of it and you measure the DO levels in that. And that will show you if one of your canning line heads might be leaking or might be, you know, oxygen ingress might be coming in from somewhere. And that's just, just a tool to really kind of like, I guess, problem solve those things. Well, we've all learned a little bit about that. And I feel like there's a whole lot of other questions about light scattering uh <laughs> <laughs> technologies that we'll, we'll put that aside for the moment we'll get on no to that at some stage down the line yeah you but be I, careful um, i can geek out pretty bad so <laughs> get on a bit of a tangent with stuff uh, but but i was keen to ask why we while we're talking technologies about the uh about the infamous um the the infamous canning line that you've mentioned there is, is that your least favorite toy in the uh this is my third canning line and I've only been in business in the production side of things anyway for four years. So I think that's a lot of canning lines for, uh, for in that period of time. Um, so we had a little, when we first started canning, we had a little cask manual canning line. So I had to grab two empty cans, fill it up, and then pass it to someone else. And they put the lid on, then they put it on the seamer, then they'd wash it. And then, then we hand label. We did that for a long time. Then we got a cask. Max unit, which is a really good unit, but she's a touch slow when we started really need to push out product. And then I got this guy, which is an ABE, American Brewing Equipment, um, Craft Can 30, um, which has got like a, that's a deep hole there. And it goes all the way there and down the Z rinse on the canning line through the labeler and down there. Um, and it was secondhand. It was a really good deal, but it's just I've been constantly, you know, you fix one thing, it breaks over here or that kind of thing. So it's, I love it. On a good day, it's my best friend, you know. But on Friday, it just gone. It was not my best friend. 
Are there, aside from a new whiz bang, brand new candy line, are there other toys that are in the uh, on the wish list for for Santa to bring next Christmas? Yeah, but I won't be able to get it. I would love to get a um, centrifuge if I could. You're right. Yeah, yeah, just like reduce my tank time, um, and just consistent like clarity every single time. Because on last Friday as well, my chillers broke down and I had to get a new chiller as well. So, so that. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't planning on that, but yeah. And it was on the weekend. It was like 38 degrees. And it was like, so within 24 hours, I had a new chiller, um, which is a chiller that controls my cool room and all my fermenters and all everything. So all my, all the product that was in tanks was getting compromised because of the hot weather. Uh, yeah. It was pretty stressful um, last couple, couple of days, <laughs> but we got it sorted. We, we hear you quite legitimately. The cool room is called that because that was always the thing when I had a pub, that that was always the thing that broke down. And without fail, it'll be on a 38-degree day, which is probably not surprising in one sense. But always at about 4, four o'clock on a Friday afternoon, just as the crowds were rocking in and you'd be sitting out. And literally, there was a night that I had two people sitting out in the backyard with the sort of the evaporators, just gently putting wet towels over them just to try and nurse it through for an extra hour or so. Do we... Um... Being such a small business, you know, we're pretty much self-funded as well. So we we have kind of made decisions that we probably, if we just spent the money once, you know what I mean? Like we probably wouldn't be in the situation that we are, but like uh, we've had, this would be my third chiller and, you know, same stuff like that. You know, if you just spend the money once, you get it right, but it's just not that easy sometimes. I absolutely hear you. I hear you loud and clear on that one. We might take a little break here. Just uh, I'll press pause on the record and that will allow people to get the cosmic dip out of their fridges and uh, feel free, Simon, to have a, a little walk around. Well, we've had our little break here in the live show. Thank you to everyone who's joined us live in the Zoom room today. We have learnt far more about crackers and Moroccan pottery during the break than we could ever explain on air. So a great reason to uh, make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram so that you know when we're doing our live shows, you can come and join in. Uh, We love it when people come along. And that also means that they can type in their questions into the Zoom room, as a few people have done along the way. Uh, And I, uh, I noticed that Jacob has asked a question. I don't know whether Jacob wanted to unmute and ask his question about centrifuges before we start to talk cosmic dip. So uh, always an interesting question with Jacob now, uh, because we know that sometimes there's some background noise in his house. There isn't today. Um, Well, not yet. Uh, I think Scarlet's feeding with mum. But uh, yeah, so um, yeah, thank you, Simon. Um, I was just wondering about centrifuges, because we often have them brought up in, you know, these various core rooms. And, you know, being a laboratory scientist, I work with a lot of centrifuges. And I was just curious what... What sort of volumes and speeds and settings do you use in a brewing centrifuge, even though you just said you don't have one yet and you'd like one? But would you be able to answer that? Yeah, well, partially, because um, my knowledge about them is limited because I haven't experienced using one yet. But um, I know when I'm shopping around, having a look, you actually buy them based on their capacity per hour. So, um, you know, you wouldn't get a huge one for a brewery who's doing 1,500 litres of time, for example. Um, but I do know the temperatures would be like near on zero degrees um, just because you'd already crash the beer in the fermenter and probably get rid of as much solids as you possibly could. Then you'd be running it through the centrifuge to the uh, bright tank um, in line and uh, that would always be at cold temperatures. Um, 
I think you could, yeah, so it goes by a hectolitre per hour. So the speed varies. If I'm just to make a comment, there's a uh, blood machine uh, called a leukophoresis uh, device, which basically is used in lieu of bone marrow transplants, and they pump blood out of one arm, having mobilised your stem cells from your bone marrow and pump it back in the other arm via a centrifuge. So it's a continuous flow system, just like the brewing would use, I imagine. And I imagine they're probably not doing hectolitres, but they, they'd be about moving units like you. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so they, we use them a lot as well when you want to like it, um, do some. I, I'm not heaps with the lab stuff. Uh, I'm trying to get better at that. Uh, but yeah, then they use like the small centrifuges for yeast sampling and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, it's but they're much bigger. These ones are like they're huge. These centrifuges, yeah, they're big, um, but they're not cheap. I've uh, got to say that wasn't where I was expecting the conversation to go today, but I've learned a little something there. Thank you, Jacob. Yeah. Uh, we've now got the cosmic dip here in our glasses. Uh, as I say, I've been hanging out for this beer. Oh, what is it now? Two weeks, three weeks since it probably landed in, our, in the in the fridge. Um, please talk us through what we're experiencing here. I know you haven't sort of got the opportunity to, to be drinking it yourself right now, but no, I just went and got one, so don't worry about <laughs> it. Um, yeah, so. This was a, like our sixth birthday, six-year birthday beer. Um, we've got a cool little designer to do, a little unique drawing on it and stuff. Absolutely. We were going we to come to that, but seeing you've mentioned it, who, who did the design for that one? It looks amazing. Man, he caught me at, at a bad moment. I forget his name. Um, but he's a really good guy. Yeah. Well, like I said, you know, it's Alex, my wife, that's her department. You know, she's she's sorting all that out. Um but yeah, he did reach out to us, and we said, "Yeah, absolutely." He's worked with some other breweries before, and we we just gave him the concept of the and an idea, and he just he got it in one one take. So it was pretty cool. Um, but I don't know if does everyone know what dip hopping is? Well, no. So that's what, that was going to be my next question after you had sort of explained what we should be tasting. But then we can take it either way. You can tell us the process and what that was adding to the beer that we've got. We wanted to do something different last year. We did an 8%, you know, hazy. It was delicious. Um, and this year we thought, well, we can't do another another hazy. We'll do something, something different. And I caught wind of this, this method. Um, actually, the method is was actually developed by Kieran, Kieran Brewery. So You're real... Right. And the beers they were doing it in weren't even like adapted for IPAs or anything like that. So, of course, some probably someone in America caught wind of that and turned it into an IPA as they do. And yeah, the process is basically you're brewing like normal and you're boiling your beer um, or the wort. And um, halfway through that boil, you send about ten to fifteen percent to the fermenter um, at 75 degrees so you run it through your heat exchange knock it down from boiling temp to around 70 75 degrees and in that fermenter is already i think it's like i can't remember the exact kilo per liter here but we chuck 10 kilos in in um, a 3000 liter batch so 10 kilos a clean fermenter it's all clean sanitized purged we opened it up. We threw ten kilos of mosaic in there. Closed her right, up. Ten kilos to what? Roughly three hundred liters. Then, if it's sort of ten percent off. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then uh, we. What I do again? Oh yeah. Then then we we stopped. Uh, we mid mid brew halfway through thirty minutes in. So there's still another thirty minutes or so to go. 
and uh, we sent 300 litres through the heat exchange and let it steep there for the remainder of of the of the actual um, of the of the brew itself. So then you just treat the brew like normal. So while you're doing the last 30 minutes, whirlpooling additions and all that kind of stuff, you'd it's sitting in there steeping in your fermenter. So you'd actually need to send the rest of the batch to the fermenter a little bit cooler to make sure you're not, you know, having 75 degree yep. uh, wort in there when you pitch your yeast. So, uh, yeah. And then apparently that's what it's meant to do is give you like a very clean aroma, they say. So clean, clean aromatic. So when, you know, cause you're thinking about it, you pitched your yeast, it's actually fermenting with hops in it straight away. So, uh, you know, it's, effectively had hops in it from the from day one um and then we dry hopped it just like normal so it's had a shitload of hops in there and um talking of you know things that are a bit scary when you take them on were you absolutely confident of what you were doing on this one or was there a touch of cross fingers and and hope for luck no yeah just giving it a crack um we obviously did a bit of research and little information i could find on there on on you know google and then i uh, yeah just gave it a go I, I don't have like a massive list of people i can call and ask um not that i don't i just don't i just usually try to figure it out and uh yeah we just had a crack it, there was a, a challenge um then we we started doing a first lot of you know dumps on the actual beer um and all of the hops basically went to the bottom and just like became like cement i couldn't get it out yeah, right. Yeah, shoving stuff up the pipe, trying to get it out, and it took a long time. Um, so I'd, I would do things a little bit differently. And is it a technique that you that you enjoy doing that you would use again, or is it just sort of the novelty of the... I don't know. What do you get? You smell... Do you get anything? Oh, I mean, it's, a, it's an absolutely delicious beer, uh, but the, I guess the question is, if you'd have... Would I be able to tell the technique that was behind it? I'm not sure that I that I would. And even when you're talking about the... There's definitely a, a, a flavour there that I don't think I would have gotten if I didn't do it. Because using some of our hop-like mosaic, you know, and using the yeast, you get maybe a small amount of biotransformation because you, you basically got active fermentation at start. So there is a bit of a juiciness to the beer um, as well. And we did use a yeast as well that actually does have biotransformation characteristics. Um, which I think was BRY97, which is from Lullaman as well. Um, so, yeah, I reckon it, I, I'd almost want to have to do one side by side, you know. Yeah, not, absolutely. Hip hop and not. But anyway, I thought it was fun. Like doing new things in the brewery is always fun. Apart from last Friday when I I was adding um, some peach to a double dry hop um, hazy. And uh, I don't know if you guys can see that, but that's that ferment is not meant to be yellow. The peach is meant to be on the inside of. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was a fun Friday afternoon. Um, but yeah, so we try new things in the brewery's fun, but you know it doesn't always go to plan. Is what I'm saying. Well, you, you've sort of preempted the the question that we always ask here, which is about. You know, we, we love a good explosion story or we love a cool room, you know, the most confronting or strange thing that you've seen in a cool room or brewery. Was was that up there last week? Was was that one of those sort of moments where you, uh, when it started to go wrong and you could just sort of see how it was going to, it was all occurring and there was nothing you could do to stop it? 
Yeah, like I don't want to um, dishearten or like you know, anyone who aspires to become a brewer or whatever and talk them out of it. But last Friday I was a beaten man, I tell you that. Uh, <laughs> I went, I, I went home and I was like, am I happy doing this still? But then I wake up in the morning, and it's all good. I love brewing. I wouldn't want, I don't want to not do it. Um, you know, things just are hard sometimes. That's it. Were there any other sort of particular? And again, we we, we tell these stories, you know, not because. Again, we want to dishearten people, but it's always just, I think people are fascinated to sort of hear these things because some people go through with this idea that it's all fun and games, but it's actually these moments that test you the most where you probably learn more about your own capacities. Well, and I'll explain, I'll explain this day then Friday because it was, it, was, it, was it was a beauty. We were actually brewing, um, and then my chillers broke down, and then I realized that I wouldn't have any chilling capacity to actually control this fermentation. So we thought, look. Well, mid-brew, I said, look, let, let's see if I can solve the problem. Let's just turn the, the kettle off and just, just you know, we'll, we'll, we'll address this. Anyway, then I got through to a supplier and they have really good service and they, th- they actually sent me down another chiller and I got it installed at the same day. I'm like, cool, let's fire this brew back up. We're going to save it. Let's turn the boil. We're direct fired brew house. Turn it on. Smelt like burnt. All the bottom of my kettle, fried and caramelized bottom. Oh. So we had to dump that anyway after all that. At the same time, my dad had uh, acute appendicitis and got rushed to hospital and had to go into surgery. And then, yeah, and then, and then uh, yeah, the canning line was fucking up that afternoon as well. Um, yeah, so then we had to go back into, you know, I had to get inside the kettle and scrub it by hand. I was, so, I was going to ask about that bit because we love, we don't love, we hate a good cleaning story, but we know what it's like. That sounds pretty horrific. Oh, it was a, that's what I mean. I was a beaten man that day. But uh, yeah, oh, it was, yeah, so it was just black, just super black or the base of it. It should be stainless, you know, shiny. So yeah, I did, we tried to clean it with caustic, but then you actually have to get in there and get a shovel in there because it's all solid. So it doesn't go down the pipe work. And um, yeah, then I was scrubbing it with a, with a scrubber or whatever. And then I had to like polish it with some wet and dry because I couldn't get it off. Anyway, so that was fun. Um, but yeah, that was a good day. Um, did you have a beer Friday night? Did you just was there? Did you just get to the point where you were able to close the doors? Yesterday, I was drinking still because of it. Probably nah, nah, it wasn't that bad. But yeah, cool. We had a couple of quiet beers. The old man's good. He, um, so, that's, that's good to hear. Yeah. Well, we've started, the, we've started the we've started the recording again because. Um, just as in things in breweries breaking down, so things in internet podcasting and live Zoom uh, interviews break down. So we had a little a little glitch there down in Phillip Island. At least we presume it was your end. Um, but you're back with us. Can you how about a couple of happy, strange things that you've seen in breweries or uh, cool rooms and pubs over the years as well? You know, things that people... I was, I was getting a bit negative there, wasn't I? No, it's actually... Um, it's, all, it's all good. No, uh, so... So good stories. Yeah, or just fu- funny, amusing things that you've seen behind the scenes. Funny and amusing. I'm pretty sheltered in this brewery. It's just me and one other dude. So I don't get, I don't get to see all the excitement anymore. Um, I don't know. You can't call me off guard there. I don't really know if I've seen any wacky stuff. Well, I didn't even get to do any of the gabs. Festivals, everyone all everyone else gets to do that. Fun stuff. Um, yeah. 
So, so out of interest, who does go and do that kind of stuff? Did you do you have take desks at? My, my wife went, and I sent two of the brewers that I was with at the time um, that were working with me at the time. Uh, one of them still works for us, and uh, they they went up there and, and did that. And plus, one of my sales reps up in Sydney, because we went to the Sydney uh, New South Wales uh, Gabs this year. And the reason why I didn't go is because our canning line broke, and I was waiting for the service. <laughs> I don't know why it keeps turning into this negative story, but <laughs> bloody that's right. Well, it's windy when it, when it gets windy down here, everything breaks. So the, the penguins get blown into the internet cables. Yeah, or something. Definitely penguin related. <laughs> um, the, the, the question I guess that I was asking was uh, how much is it the uh, the reps using their own words to describe you know the beers that they're tasting or and how much is it that you're telling them no no you've got to say this kind of thing no nah, so like when, yeah, what i was saying and what i thought you guys heard me was that it's totally you can't tell people how it tastes they have to decide how it tastes for themselves so i think we definitely go hey this is what we think the beer is but they sell it in their own way um based on their own taste so as long as they're saying some positive things about it and they're hopefully getting the sale, like, that's a good thing for me. I, like, I don't know. I think taste is a very individual thing. I don't think it's fair to script it. That's more than, that's a more than fair enough answer. Good answer. Sure. Uh, we've got a few audience questions. We've probably got a couple of spots uh, left, but we're going to get James, who is expert in all things light diffusing, uh, to unmute and, um, and ask his question to kick us off. Thanks, Dave. And thanks, Simon. Great hearing about your stuff. I've been a, a fan of your stuff for ages. And whenever I saw it on a shelf, I'd grab it. So I'm glad that it all turned up on mass because of the uh, wonderful delivery gnomes. Um, but I, I wondered because you know now the world's opened up, and uh, I, I see a lot of people are doing collaborations. And I wondered if that was something that you've considered now that we can have a genuine collaboration and mix ideas in person. I'd always wanted to do a collaboration, you know. I've I, I brought it up a couple of times. Um, it just never, it just never really happened. Um, so, yeah, I reckon working with your peers and you know other people is a really good way to learn and grow as a person and as a brewer. Um, I would love to do that. It's just right timing and you know that kind of thing. I guess um, sometimes I think being on Phillip Island is. You know, we're we're a bit far away. I'm not in not not in the circle of like a a, a lot of different breweries and stuff. So, um, but no, I reckon it'd be awesome to collaborate. You know, even if it was like a, a different state or whatever. But yeah, hundred percent because guarantee they're going to know something I don't. Um, and I, I would love to learn from other people, and hopefully they can learn something from me. I don't know. Is that the kind of thing that you know? When the uh, the canning line starts to run successfully and you can leave it behind, you can actually go out and do a few more of those those things. Well, that's it, eh? Like, you know, you don't want to collaborate with someone and go, oh, how did the can? How did it all go? And you said, oh, we only got half the product. <laughs> so, Which, um, and, and that was your half, not the other, not yeah. the other half. Yeah, no. But look, the canning run, it's it's doing all right. It's not too bad. I was giving it a bit of a bad rap. I shouldn't talk so bad to it when it's right next to me. <laughs> um, do you think? Do you think that maybe that's that's the problem from start to finish that it's picking up on your bad vibes? And oh, you know. hey, I'm all good vibes in here. I've got a, <laughs> a cosmic dip. It's all good. 
I've got to say the Cosmic Dip is a fantastic uh, Sunday afternoon beer. I'm enjoying mine immensely. Uh, I think our next question was going to be from Chris. Chris, thank you for joining us this afternoon. You've got a, a question. Thanks, David, and thanks, Simon, for sharing us your time today. Really looking forward thank to coming down your way. But my question is, is there a story behind your logo? I kind of get the vibe, I think, but I'm happy to hear the, what, you, what you have to say. So not a lot of people know that Ocean Reach is actually a spot in Phillip Island. It's actually a surf break. So um, my parents live in Cape Willemire, which is where a holiday house was for, you know, 20 years or whatever when I was coming down. And uh, just around the corner, we, we could walk there. There's a little kind of side, little pathway to get to the beach. Um, and it, it's directly opposite the street Ocean Reach. So it's a street in Phillip Island. Um, so we called it, well, my dad actually came up with Ocean Reach. What a cool name. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So yeah, cool. Um, and then, uh, cause I was working in the IT, um, space, like, you, you know, I was, you know, project managing, you know, really talented designers and, um, programmers and whatnot. So a very good friend of mine, um, Will, he, he actually designed up, uh, the logo for me. Um, but it, we always say you know when you're out in ocean reach and you're in the water you look back you know you get the sun you get the land you get the waves so that's essentially the vibe that's was kind of my take but it was that's a cool story i like it no cool man it's, a lot of people actually ask that question um and i really owe a lot to will because he created something that we've you know turned into a brand and i, I you yeah, know i really owe, owe a lot to him for that Ripper question. Thank you, Chris. Um, Jacob, yes. I think you were up next. Yeah, sorry, I'm back again. Uh, vaguely related to the centrifuge question, in that um, I'm wondering, <laughs> is there, you know, with with the with the the, the haze craze, is there <clears throat> much, you know, need for you to remove haze from anything now? Because I'm just noticing so many West Coasts. So I crack the can, pour it out, go, oh, it's a hazy West Coast. You know, and it's just they're not your, necessarily your beers, but just others. And I don't mind because I love love the haze. But and I know it's always something they've tried to remove. But now it's like oh, if it's haze, you don't have to go through all the annoyance of removing it. I guess is that there's, true? There's difference to haze and yeast haze, right? Ah, yes. So you know what I mean. So you you should be able to produce a beer with really good stable haze, is what they say. And that's by using the right amount of um, making sure your malt grist in your process is the right levels of, you know, that has a good amount of protein in it, basically, that will stay in suspension and attach to things. So, you know, you can see with this, this is, I would call that hazy and that's cosmic dip. That's had heaps of conditioning, but that's a, that's a hop haze. You know, it's acceptable for the style. Um, and there's a lot of hops in there. So you'd get that but you you've probably drank plenty of hazies and probably some of mine as well where you would you know you, you pour the last bit of the can in and the soul is coming out so you can uh, you, you can get a centrifuge solve all those problems for you as long as you've got good stable haze in your product so if you've got good stable haze even running it through a centrifuge it won't it shouldn't get rid of it and you can also dial these centrifuges in to actually the level of clarity that you want 
Awesome stuff. Look, I reckon this is about the time that we'll wrap up our recorded part of the session. Um, but first of all, can you make sure that we've got all of your socials uh, so that we can continue to hear directly from you all of the uh, the Ocean Reach news as it happens? So the Instagrams and, and whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. Just Ocean Reach Brewing. That's isn't, it. That, isn't that simple and easy? If only everyone was made, if only everything was that simple and easy. Yeah, just Ocean Reach Brewing. We're we're pretty active on um, on Instagram uh, mainly, and obviously Facebook a bit. But yeah, so that's where you can find our new releases when we're going to start pumping up new things. Um, but also just check out our website as well. You know, if you want, want want to talk direct, and if we don't have something on the website that you've seen around, do not hesitate to reach out. We could probably work something out. Awesome. Look, you've been uh, you've been excellent in supplying uh, us with so many great beers today and really encourage people to order more through your website uh, and to follow you on Insta and Facebook and so forth. Simon, thank you for taking time out from not just your brewery, uh, but from family duties as well on the weekend. We know that that's uh, an imposition. Really appreciate it. And thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, mate. Cheers.